Blog Talk Radio. to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be continuing with our theme of healing, and in particular we're going to be focusing on the use of shamanic wisdom for recovery, as in addiction recovery. And for that journey, we have invited on the founder of a very interesting ranch, a center, called the Ranch Recovery Center in Tennessee, Lee McCormick, who is on his own journey through addiction and recovery and came through the other side, you could say, in such a way that he's become a real leader now in the field of recovery, but not in any kind of conventional way. No, 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 not for the show A Better World, but through the use of essentially ancient wisdom, indigenous wisdom, shamanic wisdom that comes to him through the Toltec tradition, Don Miguel Ruiz, who has been a guest on our show as well as his sons over the past number of years, and through other types of influences of this sort that have contributed and formed, in a sense, a convergence for Lee inside himself, as well as those he works with. So it's been a real journey for him. He is the uh, producer of a film called Dreaming Heaven, and... It's funny, It's the book is also subtitled, The Beginning is Near. So Lee, uh, as I said, founded the Ranch Recovery Center, which is in Tennessee, uh, sitting on some 4,000 acres. I spoke with him just a little while ago when he was crossing that huge ranch, and... Uh, He has been working with people for a long time regarding the subject of recovery and, as said, using these ancient tools, these ancient ways of understanding ourselves and who we are. It's a very profound personal growth experience that he takes people on. He is also the author of the Spirit Recovery Meditation Journal, and was a contributor to Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul. As executive producer of Dreaming Heaven, as I mentioned earlier, the documentary on spiritual awakening and experience, Levy also became a partner in Enlightened Entertainment, a production company. He's also a film and music creative, which is also, I'm sorry, a creative endeavor using film and music. He's a partner and co-creator of The Dreaming House in Teotihuacan in Mexico, a group retreat center at the foot of the pyramids where a lot of Dreaming Heaven, the film, takes place. He's a talented songwriter and singer, and Lee has owned and operated the Piney River Cattle Company for the past 20 years. I wonder if he sings to the cows. We'll find out soon. His pursuits also include being a certified chemical dependency counselor, spiritual teacher, and Toltec guide, trained in the tradition 
of the Eagle Knight lineage of Don Miguel Ruiz, who I mentioned earlier. And Lee resides between the ranches he has in Tennessee and Malibu, California. So, Lee, are you with us today? Can you hear me? Lee, are you there? Hey there. Yeah, man, Excellent I'm here. Excellent guy. Welcome to a better world. Well, thanks. I've been I'm, I've been looking for a better world. <laughs> yeah, you know we all have, and so I thought that if I named my radio and TV shows a better world, I'd be spending a lot of time in it. You know. Well, there you go. You just make it happen. <laughs> exactly. You just make it happen. You just create it wherever you go. So, Lee, it's really a pleasure to have you on today and uh, speaking with our with our audience. We have a wonderful audience of people who just lap up <clears throat> material having to do with our own personal development, personal evolution, and uh, by so doing... I'm sorry? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I missed you for a second. Oh, yeah, was. no problem. I was saying that our audience is very tuned in to uh, the the inner picture as well as the larger picture of how to lead a meaningful life here on this planet and as well as how to be guided to make a difference so their life has meaning and a sense of mission, sense of purpose. So uh, a lot of what you're doing really speaks to a lot of those values that uh, – we at A Better World really embrace and endorse. So would you start, uh, give us a little bit of your own background, your own story of how it is you've come to do the things that you're doing now. Um, well, it, <laughs> there are a few aspects to my life. Um, yes. The, the Dreaming Heaven Project, the film, and then um, after we had, completed the film and started screening it, we had such a response from the audiences and people kept asking uh, if we keep, people kept suggesting that we should write a book to go with it as a guidebook um, so that they could, they could engage in the practices that they're seeing in the film. So we ended up mm-hmm. writing the book and then did a series of meditations that are each meditation is congruent with one of the 12 chapters in the book. Um, and so when you buy the package, you get the, the book with a copy, a, a DVD of the film in the back, and a download yeah. of the meditations. Um, and the package, the, the Dreaming Heaven work came about as the result of my personal journey, um, which the, the journey of, of really questioning life and, you know, what am I doing and who, who am I really? Yeah. and What's you know what's going on here? Really started yeah. for me um, in earnest when I was 41 years old, and I had yeah. checked myself into a treatment center and um, had why? a had a really huge experience. What? Um, why did you check yourself into a treatment center? What were you uh, going through, suffering from? Oh, just my own my own chemical dependency stuff. You know, drug mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and um, drug so and alcohol. alcohol but, yeah. Yeah. Drugs. Um, so I truck. I, I checked myself into a, a treatment program, and um, I just I had a, a big realization, a big awareness um, in over that 45 days that there was an entire other side to the truth of the legacy, our legacy as human beings. There was an entire other side that's not really talked about and not really acknowledged or looked at. Um, and, you know, it's been deemed the shadow side, um, you know, in the, in the, in the uh, mystery school traditions or the indigenous traditions, a lot of times it's referred right. to as underworld stuff. <clears throat> yeah, the shadow. Um, yeah, and, you know, I just, I, I realized because I was in groups with people every day and, and doing process stuff with people every day while I was in treatment, and um, this was a... a a, a really excellent treatment program back in the mid-90s, and it was a real cross-section of kind of the, the middle and upper middle class um, of America, and, you know, the stories of the truth of what went on 
in people's homes and in their lives and in their childhoods um, was just, it was startling to me. I had no idea that, that you know, the abuse and the sexual abuse and the trauma and and um, the rape and the, the amount of suffering. The amount of yeah. suffering is untold, literally untold. And so that's why it was such a shock for you, because the whitewashed version of reality we get through typical media, not here, but, you know, typical Hollywood-style media, just has very little bearing to the truth of what people experience in life. So Exactly. And so all of those secrets and all of those... And those are, it's all an aspect of a legacy. It's not something that just pops up yes. in a generation, you know, from nowhere. It's literally exactly. the legacy that's been yeah. passed forward for a thousand years, you know. Exactly. Um, and so, it, but it, it, I had that awareness and that realization, which shifted a part of that experience for me from, certainly it was about me, my personal life, my personal situation, and, and me dealing with me. And at the same time, it was like, okay, this explains a lot about why my entire life I felt like there was something very incongruent in mm-hmm. in the world and, you know, in our, in our culture. Like, I didn't yeah. really trust it, and I didn't really understand that. I came to understand that it, it was like, okay, well, I, I didn't really trust it. I didn't trust the official story. I didn't trust the all the masks that are on business and on the goals that we're told we should aspire to because those right. goals are so important and those goals bring us happiness and fulfillment. And, you know, I didn't trust the religious institutions, and I didn't, sure. I just didn't really trust it. But I wasn't aware of that. I was just anxious about it, and so I reacted um, yeah. from a place of not trusting it, which, you know, you, just, you typically characterize as being rebellious. Okay, you know, culturally, you're told, well, you're just a rebellious teenager or you're just a a rebellious adult. Um, Well, you know, yeah, and being rebellious Mm -hmm. when you have an unknown awareness that the world you're living in and the culture you're living in and the situation you've been told you have to believe in is not congruent and it's not really honest and it's not really the truth, um, being rebellious is a, a healthy sign. Now, the self-destruction side of that is not healthy, but, you know, but again, in our culture, if you're not comfortable, then you find some way to medicate it because that's what happens in, in the U.S., you know. Um, and, and if, I could, if I is, could just say, you know, uh, you know as, a, as a holistic therapist, I, my mind is always kind of looking at both sides of a story. And what I'm hearing you really saying, Lee, is that you were embodying the, as we all do, the hypocrisy that is essentially demonstrated to us through the mechanics of our society. And that can have an effect of making people schizophrenic, psychotic, and if they're especially sensitive, it makes them want to self-medicate in order to reconcile the two major different storylines. One which is really false that you're talking about, the other one which is truer. And you, we look for a way because the brain always is seeking to reconcile the differences. And medication is a way of, it's not a good way. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't finally fulfill. But it is a temporary relief from the uh, the momentary madness and conflict that we're experiencing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Would you uh, say that's, that that, that's that captures some of what you're saying? It is. And, and that conflict, that agitation, um, that disease exists at a mind level and an intellect level. And it, it exists on a much deeper level, too. It exists on a soul Definitely. level. That, Definitely. That, you know, we, we truly are beings of light. If you, if, you know, we, yes. our consciousness is of the light, and our physical body is born of the earth. And we are the merging of consciousness and form. And we are multidimensional beings, and we really don't know for a fact what we are. And, 
and yet we have these amazing abilities to create and to love and to um, experience the full array of emotions and experiences, which is all a part of being human, from the most terrible experiences to the most wonderful experiences. It's all aspects of being human. Very um, true. And the incongruence of culture and and the 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 programs that we're born into, we're literally downloaded with programs, not unlike mm-hmm. we download programs into a computer. Um, yes. And so when that starts breaking down, when that doesn't work for you anymore, one of the really tragic things of our culture is that there's no great respect for questioning the core beliefs and the foundational beliefs that hold the culture together. So if you don't fit in, and if you're not really okay with it, and if it doesn't really work for you, Typically, you're judged as being ungrateful or being um, rebellious or being obnoxious or yeah. or something. There's some judgment. Very annoying. Wrong. Very annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, why do you keep asking those questions? You know, why don't you just right. go to work? Why don't you just, just, Stop just it fall already. in line? Right. Just, just right. be compliant. Um, right, right, right. And, Get it to lie. Know, Become part of the beehive. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, at this point in history, you know, we can't keep sweeping the, the, the baggage and and the untruths and the distortions and the incongruence. We you just can't sweep it under the rug anymore. Exactly. You know, it's like exactly. our 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 culture and our collective human human matrix like reality is literally coming apart at the seams from all the stress of the untruths that it's been based in. And exactly that's, that's a great gift, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, in the long run, let's it's go a gift. Back it's to, let's, you're, you're, very, you're very right. Um, I want to just follow your own thread of what happened with you, because there you were, and uh, your world was sort of being crushed, and you were becoming disillusioned <clears throat> in a good way, a very good way, and you were watching your own life sort of... Um, unravel when you were in that uh, recovery center, and then what happened from there? When I got out, um, I was living at that time on the ranches that I live on today. So um, I had uh, had a couple ranches in Middle Tennessee, and, you know, I had five, six hundred cows, and, you know, a a cowboy and worked uh, race quarter horses, and um, wow. And I had a hit, a realization, because I get these feelings. Um, some people have visions. Some people hear voices. Right. I just get these feelings, and the feelings keep, they uh-huh. just keep working on me until it comes together as a as a thought or an awareness that I can verbalize. Yes. But I had uh-huh. this hit that in the healing and, and recovery and treatment process, there was um, a real need to bring people back into the grounded and the connection back to the earth again, that we humans have have moved so far away from the truth of our nature and the truth of our relationship to the body of the mother as such, the earth, Mm -hmm. and to the true core of our nature as as organic beings, as animals. Um, And I I realized that, that there was a great opportunity and I was basically being given this download to create a healing center, a treatment center, um, oh. And I started working on that idea, and about two years after I had gotten out of treatment, we opened a treatment program here on our ranch. It's called The Ranch. Um, yes. And I owned it for 12 years. Um, it developed into a 36-bed amazing healing program. Oh, and then uh, I actually sold it three years ago to a venture capital group, which is another story. It was time uh-huh. for me to move on. You know, it was time for me to move on, and, and the big money guys were all gaining up in the in the drug and alcohol treatment business because it's a lucrative business. Um, So they were getting into it for the money side. And, you know, I sold the program. But what happened during my experience early on was not trusting the official story, not trusting the system. You know, I didn't just buy into the traditional recovery point of view. I wasn't interested in the my name is Lee and I'm an addict thing. I was like, okay, well, that's not true. My name is Lee and I'm a mess. I'm not going to argue yes. with you about that, but that does yes. not define what I am. And um, I started reading all kinds of books. This was in the mid-'90s, and, you know, there were bookstores everywhere in the mid-'90s. Right. Um, 
So I started reading all kinds <laughs> yes, of spiritual I, I books. I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah, bookstores. It was great, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, I started reading all kinds of spiritual books and self-help books, and, you know, there were just tons of books around. And I, I read all the religious yeah. doctrines I could get my hands on. And um, mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, I read The Four Agreements. And Miguel Ruiz's book really resonated with me, that point of view did. Yes. Um, yes. I had never been into Mexico. I'd been to Mexico actually surfing a couple times, but I'd mm-hmm. never been into the heart of Mexico. I'd never been to any of the ancient sites or the sacred sites. Um, yes. And Miguel's book was so powerful to me that um, I, I dug deeper and I found that, that there were teachers that worked under Miguel Ruiz that were leading journeys to Teotihuacan, um, this ancient city outside of Mexico City where the Pyramid of the Sun and the Moon are. So I signed up and went on a journey. And I with just him. had a huge... Yeah. No, it wasn't with Miguel. It was with a couple teachers that had been working under him for a few years. Oh, um, okay. Got it. Got it. You know, so I Don Miguel has been on Miguel. our show. He's <laughs> well, been I with ended us up, on I ended a better spend, world. Yeah. yeah, I ended up spending three years with Miguel where we met one one weekend a month for three years as part of a dreaming group, which was another huge experience. Um, yes. But, you know, the the realization that the official story of reality was just not true, that there's an entire something else going on here also. And oh it was the something else that had been missing, that, yeah. you know, that I knew something was missing. I didn't know what, but I realized it's it's just this huge expansive nature of life. And, and creation and, you know, the, the so available consciousness of, of the creation that we live in and a part of, and that that was the relationship that I was missing. Um, and I started bringing these awarenesses into the treatment program, into the ranch that I created, and started looking for staff that resonated with that creative, open-ended, life-oriented point of view as opposed to the disease model addiction point of view. Um, you know, and it was just, it was an amazing journey and, and an amazing time. Um, I kept going back to Teotihuacan. You know, I would return two or three times a year. And over a period of four or five years, I got to a place to where I started co-leading journeys because that was part of the tradition. Um, at a point fairly early on, you're told, okay, you need to start teaching because you don't really realize how much you don't know until you start trying to teach other people. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, so I picked up on that tradition, and after a few years of leading journeys, um, I was actually living in Los Angeles, and um, a friend came, well, I was introduced to a, a guy who's since become a very good friend of mine, who was a photographer and a music producer, and he had the idea that it would be really interesting if we filmed one of the journeys to Teotihuacan and literally filmed it um, reality-based. You know, nothing scripted, nothing, don't, don't do any retakes, don't do anything, just film the journey as it happens and just see what we might capture for mm-hmm. fun. And we didn't even have the idea of making it a documentary. So we did. We got a couple of camera guys and a sound guy, and they volunteered to go do it because they wanted to go on the journey. And we filmed the journey. We got back with 100 hours of tape, and or 100 hours of footage. Tape's kind of an archaic word. But yeah. um, <laughs> um, I, and then it sat for about a year, and a man named Straw Wiseman, who was a part of What the Bleep Do We Know, when, when mm-hmm. Bleep was made, Straw watched some of the footage and said, man, this is special. And this is really powerful, and you should finish this. You should make a documentary out of this. Um, mm-hmm. So we did. You know, it took a couple more years, and we did. Um, and that's how the film came about. It just literally came about through the course of my journey and and my kind of stepping into whatever life offered that looked like it, it held some magic or some mystery or, or some, some awareness, um, just kind of peeling the layers of, of the stories I've been told that I should believe in, that I was so enmeshed in, that we're all so enmeshed in, um, yes. you know, and starting to peel that back and take it apart and and re kind of reassess our relationship to living. And dreaming heaven is is the result of that and is an aspect of that. 
We are speaking with Lee McCormick, who is the founder of the Ranch Recovery Center in Tennessee. And it's a place where there is holistic and spiritual approaches to addiction. It's a serious, significant departure from drug (laughs) recovery uh, conventionally, which is typically the 12-step program, which has its own merit. But I am so pleased to hear you speak the way you are, Lee, because I've been picking a bone with the 12-step programs while appreciating them, by the way, for many, many years, back when I was a graduate student in psychology and first getting exposed back in the 70s to uh, the 12-step programs. And it's very, very encouraging for me to hear of a serious departure from that. You are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. Our website is abetterworld.tv, through which you can hear our weekly radio show here on Blog Talk Radio every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and our television show every Tuesday night at 10.30 here in New York City. So, Lee, let's pick up this thread. It's really wonderful. You are the uh, author of Dreaming Heaven. It's a really interesting book, which is documenting a process that you are uh, one of a handful of people leading, facilitating a group of people who are looking to open their hearts and souls to a new direction for their lives and reinterpret, redefine, open the space for a different way of being. And it's a, it's a very moving book and uh, documentary. It's, uh, I don't know another word, very sobering, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. But what kind of results are you getting on the, on the purely recovery level of people coming to you, I imagine, with drug addictions that might be heroin, that might be cocaine, that might be pharmaceutical drugs, which are so popular these days, purely legal drugs, and it may be alcohol or any combination therein. What kind of results are you seeing at the ranch and in your journeys down to Mexico? Yeah, um, well, you know, actually, like I said, I, I I sold the ranch three years ago, and I'm I'm actually no longer involved in it at all. Um, oh, okay. I started another program. Yeah, I started. I jump around. Well, I, I wouldn't say I jump around a lot. I own it for twelve years, but um, yes, right. I have a program in Nashville called the Integrative Life Center. That's the okay. next evolution. Oh, that's the um, next iteration. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's the next generation. And the Integrative Life Center um, in Nashville is just, it's a, a very cool program. And I can speak to, you know, what the experience was with the ranch when I owned it. It's um, it's yeah. become a much larger, much much more commercial-oriented program these days, but it's yeah, still a good right. program. Um, sure. But, um, you know, the what I saw that was so profound is that, there seems to be an attitude among the recovery professionals in treatment programs that, you know, addicts, alcoholics, um, eating disorder, because we covered eating disorders, you know, mental health mm-hmm. issues, addiction issues, that a lot of times the industry and the professionals, the tendency is to make clients sicker than they really are. Um, oh. The tendency is that these people are broken and they're sick and they're not normal because they don't fit into society and because they are a problem in their families and because they're exhibiting these behaviors. You know, they're heroin addicts, they're cocaine addicts, they're crackheads, they're, you know, they're whatever. And so there's a lot of projection that goes on in the healing arts, in the recovery business. That's that's an aspect of, uh, again, of the way we've been taught to view life and interact with the life. Yes. When the point of view that we operate from is that each individual is unique. Each individual has a purpose and a reason for being in this world. And if that purpose and reason is just to enjoy their life, that's great, that's good enough. Um, But each individual is deserving of respect, and each individual's story is unique. And that story, in order for, for me to recover and be recovered, for anyone else to recover and be recovered, that individual has to unravel that story. 
and has yes. to has to keep peeling back the layers of the onion and questioning every aspect of their belief system in their life in order to sort through it all so that we can get to the core of who am I really and we can re-experience the truth of who we are. And then you begin to recreate what you would call an identity. Or, you know, you begin to recreate who you want to be in the world and how you want to live in the world. And that's, that's a different perspective than the traditional point of view, which says you are this, which is your diagnosis. You are an addict. You are codependent. You are bulimic. Um, that is what you are, and now we're going to teach you how to live and how to manage the symptoms of the disease that you have because it's incurable, um, which is just not true. The diseases exist out of, and the challenges that we face exist out of our doing our best to cope with the nature of reality in the world we were born into and the wounded and the woundedness and the traumas and all the, just the mess that we inherit when yeah. we're born here. Um, the shamanic traditions, which is what Dreaming Heaven is based in the Toltec, mystery school which is a shamanic tradition the shamanic traditions of all the indigenous peoples of all the cultures going back thousands of years they acknowledged and recognized that what we are is just energy and consciousness and light and so from a shamanic perspective doing this recovery work is about unraveling and cracking open the energetic bubble that we create and, and enmesh ourselves in and attach to as an identity unraveling that and letting it all go, not enmeshing ourselves deeper into a new story and a new identity as a recovering person, but unraveling it to let it go so that we might have some space and and some freedom within ourselves to re-experience life again and to make choices for the second time in how we choose to create our life as responsible, present, aware adults. And people responded in an amazing way to that, a, a, a majority of people. I would say probably 50 or 60% of the people had a huge response to working with that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a percentage of people who literally just want to be told what to do in order to be good enough. You know, they just don't want to let yeah. go of, of basically operating within the matrix. And that's fine. That's their choice. I respect that. Um, you know, and the funny thing is, we, we go to 12-step meetings, and we use the steps, but we use it as a tool, not a gospel. Yes. And, and it's just one of the tools that's available to us. It's a great tool, and it's a tool, and the tool is not sacred. None of the tools are sacred. What's sacred is us, our life, our sure. opportunity to live an authentic life. That is what is sacred, right. and that's what is placed up on the altar is our life. We don't put the tools on the altar. And a lot of times, you know, we humans, we, we, we're so willing to give away our faith um, in something outside of ourselves because we have not come to the realization that we really don't believe in ourselves and we well, really don't so trust true. ourselves. It's further evidenced um, by the uh, celebrity culture in which we find ourselves living. It is just uh, awesome to see on television every single day and night stories about celebrities you know the the film movie television music celebrities out in hollywood and elsewhere their lives are picked apart by these um i don't know uh, parasitic people who think that somehow the kardashians have something to really teach us and uh, that they deserve somehow greater attention than we do ourselves. It's an awesome situation in which we find ourselves. So I very much appreciate the point you're making. We we tend to sacralize. I mean, isn't it one of the commandments, thou shalt not practice idolatry? And yet we see it throughout our culture, you know. But I'd like to come back to uh, something that you were saying, Lee, about 
50 to 60 percent of the people had a real breakthrough in understanding that they are the authors of their own lives, that they get to write the story, that the story ultimately is the ink of that story is energy and consciousness, if you will, you know, through their own pen. And it's not a story that we learn from our own parents or grandparents, although that may be part of it if we decide to consciously choose it. But it's not one that we need to inherit and live by those belief systems or assumptions. We want to come to our own bottom, so to speak, so we can create from there and build up from there. So I very much appreciate that idea. I want to circle back, though, to the idea of people really getting healed and staying healed and realizing that their life is so much richer and that they have this huge field of choice and that going the the drug way, the addictive way, is a really, really narrowed, limited choice. So, well, that's what? that's very true yeah. because you know one of the things that I think anyone that you anyone that you ask who's been addicted to substances um, is how much smaller your reality gets the longer you stay trapped in that pattern. Your yeah. life just your your world, your reality, your life gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That's a really good way and, to put and, it. Yeah, and we are incredibly expansive beings. You know, we really don't understand what we are. And we are much more than we are willing to accept or, or, or give ourselves respect and credit for. And the only way that we can discover the aspects of what we are is to live it and to go for it, you know, and to be willing to stretch and, and take chances with, you know, with with going beyond the limitations of what we've been taught we should believe and what we've been told is real and not real and all that stuff. And Right. Um, right. You know, that personal transformation and evolution is a tradition in the work of the Toltecs, and it's a tradition in the mystery school. Yes. In so in your um, own life, was that moment of realization when you were in that recovery center yourself, Lee, back in whatever it was, the earlier mid-'90s, um, was that realization sufficient enough to keep – to steer your life into another direction and reshape it so that the drug scene was no longer part of it? Yeah, it wasn't that easy. Um, <laughs> um, That's what I'm getting to, exactly. I want to get to that thing yeah, no, it, that really you know, been, shifts been, it been, and keeps it shifted. Yeah, please. Well, you know, the shift, the shift comes little bits at a time. And... Yeah. What what did happen though is yeah. I had it it touched my heart on such a deep level and my spirit on such a deep level and I, you know I think today looking back on it I can say that that it connected me to an aspect of myself that's maybe a big part of why I'm here you know mm-hmm. is to work with these paradigms of healing um, and yes. to work with with bringing the true integrity of of our of ourself back to the center of healing practices as opposed to, you know, being compliant and fitting into the culture again as the point in healing. Sure. It's about reclaiming our authenticity. And so, you know, it touched me on such a deep level and a heartfelt level that it inspired me. So I took the next step and I Mm -hmm. I did what I did and I began to work. And then, you know, the universe responds to, to our most heartfelt, sincere prayers and actions and intentions when we do the work, when we have to get up and do the work. And then the next step in reading all the books and all the things I did, you know, I read the four agreements and I was inspired again. And so love that book. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I found a way, I I found the connection to Teotihuacan and I signed up and went on a journey and I knew nobody. I knew nothing about what I was getting into. I just trusted (laughs) it and I went for it. And that was another huge shift. And then another year, year and a half later, um, no, actually, actually, let me back up. I'm, I'm twisting it around. Um, mm-hmm. About two years before I went to Teotihuacan, 
I was working with a workshop program called OnSite that's here in Tennessee, and I was their equine contractor. I have a bunch of horses, and they do four-day equine-assisted psychotherapy groups, and oh, I would I work it. with their therapists. And in one of those groups, there was a Native American man who was here doing some healing work on, him, on himself in this program. Mm-hmm. And uh, he invited me to come to Arizona and do a sweat lodge with him and do a Native American church ceremony. And, you know, so I said, yeah. I flew to Tucson a month later and did my first sweat lodge ceremony, and it was so powerful again. And, yeah. you know, a voice, said, a voice said to me at that time I was really struggling to find something to keep me connected and moving forward because I'd get very frustrated with the traditional recovery scene. And this voice in the lodge said, you come here. Just plain as day to me, you come here. And boy, that, that experience just blew me open. And I started, you know, every month or six weeks, I'd catch a cheap flight on Southwest and I'd fly back to Arizona and I'd meet up with Albert and I'd go do ceremonies over the weekend and I'd fly home and go back to work. And then I found the four agreements, went to Teotihuacan, and another door opened. And so, you know, the the point being that in our in our awakening process and in our personal evolution and transformation and healing process, it's it, it is one step at a time, you know, yes. and it is um, one choice at a time, and the opportunities keep coming back to us realizing that we hold the power through the choices that we make and the intentions that we hold and the actions that we take, that that the universe is on our team and, you know, God is on our team and life is on Mm -hmm. our team. And, you know, and we have to find the courage and the willingness and the stay in power to keep stepping up and keep trying. And you fall off the bike and you train wreck and you relapse and you do whatever you do. And, okay, so what? Get up and get back on the horse and let's keep moving here. You know, getting stuck in the judgment, getting stuck in the scorekeeping and all of that is an absolute waste of time. It's about the next you know, step and the next choice. Lee, I say this to my clients <laughs> and to myself all the time. It's not how many times you fall off the horse. It's really about how many times you get back on. All it matters that- is that you keep riding into the sunrise and the sunset. Just keep going, brother. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it We're is. Only human. You know, and then eventually right? you develop a. Tr- eventually, you and the horse develop a trust with each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. A relationship with each other. That's right. Beautifully put. And it knows that you're going to be getting back on, even if you fell. It knows that that falling is a stage. Werner Earhart used to talk about uh, the founder of EST and then later the forum and the like, out of which came so many wonderful different initiatives and uh, kinds of uh, group dynamic work. And uh, he used to talk about the relationship of a breakdown and a breakthrough. And the true attributes of a breakdown are exactly containing those elements you need for a breakthrough. So from that point of view, you should be happy that you fall off the horse. No one succeeds without falling off the horse. Or I've gone so far as to say you're doing something wrong if you don't fall off that horse. If you don't fail in life when you do something, if it's running a race, or it's in a business endeavor or a creative artistic one, it doesn't matter what it is. You will fall and scrape your knees and someone else will get there and win the prize and win the girl and everything else. And all it is is the school of life. Be thankful for it so you can learn what to do your next time. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I I was told one time, that the nature of a heartbreak in our life is that the heart gets broken when the truth shows up and the truth and the story that you've been telling yourself that you've given your faith to don't match. Yeah. And and, and that leads to heartbreak. And when your heart is broken wide open, you're actually closer to the truth 
then it's kind of like you know that old line you can't handle the truth. Um, but but that's really a, it's really true that so many times yeah. we we tell ourselves these stories or we buy into the stories that we've been told, that's and we right. accept that as the truth and we give our faith to that story. And then when the story doesn't pan out because the truth has shown up and the truth is something else, well, we fall off into this great self-pity or this heartbreak or this anger or this reaction when the opportunity is to just realize, oh, my God, my story just wasn't true. Okay, so what? Right. You know? (laughs) Make up another one. (laughs) Yeah, well, or stop making up stories and just start living with what's going on and making your choices from what's going on and you know, and, and, and try and develop an awareness of not indulging in the story. Right. Which well, is another you know, aspect. I, That's another huge aspect yeah, of the Toltec practices is mm-hmm. is our relationship with our stories. Yeah. Um, and it's very Byron Katie-ish. It's very, is that really yeah. true? Sure. Sure. No, I understand. I, you know, I I play with the notion of story myself in some ways because we are if you really trace back uh human culture and civilization you see that as we all became singers and dancers around the campfire you know that brought the community together we were also storytellers and it was through our stories about ourselves about our families about our cosmos that we began to come to deeper understandings of the nature of the universe. And those stories become elaborated into myths and legends and folk tales. And uh, then they become the story of civilization. And you need to distinguish between what's a true story and what's a story we're telling ourselves from some egoic self-pride point of view. So I believe me, I understand and appreciate the distinction. And there's something about being raw, vulnerable, naked with no story after you've told your story, like you told us yours here, um, where, you know, that led you to where you are now, where you become storyless. You just become the being that you are, which is both a human being and a cosmic being, if you will, at the same time. Somehow or another, it's just part of becoming and telling a more genuine story about who you are. It's all very beautiful, you know. It is very beautiful. Yeah, and we humans are amazing storytellers. Our issue happens, the problem happens when we don't understand that it's a story we're telling. When you know That's you're right. telling a story, then right. then you're owning it, and you realize, exactly. and you you don't get lost. In the story, in the you story. can play the story. Exactly. Yeah. You're so in it, but you're beyond it. You're in it, but you're beyond it, and you realize you're the creator, the author of it. So you can change its tenor. You can change the lighting. You know, you're a director, man, and you can start to live a, a meaningful, purposeful life that's in alignment with with your higher self. You know. Exactly, and when you when you live without any attachment to the story, then you're free to morph and grow, and and let go, and take on what you choose, and release what you don't want to carry any longer. You're just you move through it with freedom rather than moving through it with tons of baggage because you've been met exactly. yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Let's circle back around to Dreaming Heaven, where you are working with a group of people down in uh, Teotihuacan, and you're taking them on this journey. You've got a really interesting group of people from all different paths and walks of life. One guy is a media guy. One woman is a writer. One guy has a uh, kind of a, a jail history and drug, and it's a very interesting combination of people. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey as you elaborated in the uh, in the film? Sure. Um, well, you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to the group of people. It's it's a group of people like any group of people. Um, yes. You know, there you already named a bunch of them, but you know, there's a contractor and there's a realtor, 
and there's a, a plumber, and there's a civil rights attorney from New York who's actually right. the deputy director of civil rights for Governor Cuomo now. Um, oh, wonderful. There's, you know, there's a whole array of people, and the truth is, during the course of the journey, they're all coming to terms with and dealing with how they have placed their roles in their life, which is, you know, when when I say, you know, you can say you're a psychologist. I can say I'm a rancher. Well, that's a role that I'm living. That's not what that's I am. Right. I'm we right. living these different roles of these different things that I do. Exactly. But you know that's what? We're separated to get. We get so attached to the role that we that we don't we lose the the awareness and the perspective. And in the journey of dreaming heaven, you're seeing these individuals realizing that wait a minute, I'm not my story. And we're doing ceremonies where they're having experiences that are, um, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, well, you guys must have been eating peyote or, or doing ayahuasca. You had to have been doing some <laughs> kind of power plants. You know, and I say, no, it's it's not necessary. That energy yeah. is within all of us, and that awareness is within all of us. And the opportunity is to wake up to it, and it happens that the ancient city of Teotihuacan is such a profoundly powerful, energetic place that yes. the, the the broader aspects of our consciousness and our awareness as human beings just gets blown open. So I have people, and the people on that journey, in fact, there are people who literally, you could say, see the face of God during mm. some of those ceremonies. They completely re-merge back into the light of the fact that there is no separation between any of us. There's no separation between us and the one that created us. And they have the, that profound of an experience in a temple in the middle of an ancient city with thousands of tourists walking around. And it's very surreal. Um, yes. You know, and, and, and it's literally we're shifting in and out of different dimensions. While our yes. physical bodies are on one plane, you know, sitting on an altar, for instance. Sure. Our consciousness is expanded out into the entire cosmos. I mean, it sounds, it sounds, you know, very new agey and all that stuff. But the truth yeah. is, it's that's the truth. That's what's going that on. That is the truth. And the, that you know, is the truth. I think honestly, one of the reasons that there is so much suffering in this world is that we have cut ourselves off from all of that. We've yeah. cut ourselves off from the profoundly expansive amazing relationships that we have to to the infinite arrays of and frequencies of consciousness and light that are also a part of everyday existence, but we never give them our attention. We never give it any awareness because we've been so trained to just feed that, that particular paradigm that we have been programmed to participate in. And in Dreaming Heaven, people are taking that stuff apart and it's coming apart, and they're just having life-changing realizations during the course of that journey. With some people, it's huge and profound. With some people, they'll go through a whole journey, and they'll say at the end, okay, I don't feel like anything happened. You know, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, the truth is that what needed to happen for them happened. And maybe That's what right. needed to happen for them was nothing big and spectacular because they needed they needed the challenge of realizing that if nothing big and spectacular happens, are you willing to keep showing up for yourself anyway because you 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 have made a commitment to you? Do you understand right. what I'm saying? It's like oh, yeah. it's very interesting. And then they'll go home after four yeah. or five days on a journey. They go home and they call me when they get home. They go, oh, my God, nothing is the same <laughs> here. You know, they have completely shifted and morphed, and they had no awareness of it because That's right. they shifted back into who they really were, which was completely familiar and comfortable once they got there. But, boy, That's when they right. went back home, it was like, oh, my God, whose toothbrush is this? Whose car is that? I live here? It's, it's really funny. <laughs> I don't quite fit in these clothes in the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe we need right. to get you on a journey, and then you can come back and talk about it. Yeah, right. That's right. No, I'm very I'm familiar with the space and I've been on journeys even down in the Amazon rainforest. So I'm okay. familiar with the space 
and it's a precious one and you just described it beautifully from the people who have an epiphany and it's all over their face and their psyche and their soul and it's spreading out and it's moving through their fingertips and then there are others who appear like ho-hum no big deal but they've just reduced their like they do with everything probably their interpretation of reality down to its lowest common denominator but when they actually do get home if it's not them themselves perceiving the difference it's other people that look at them and say my god you are emanating light what the hell did you go through you know yeah exactly the you know what i mean it requires the external feedback then they go Oh my, and that that creates the consciousness of for them of a shift, you know. Oh my God, I I'm different. Jesus, I guess I really am, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, so you know something funny in, in all of this is I've actually led journeys in Manhattan. Um, yeah, with, really. You know, with with fifteen or twenty predominantly New Yorkers, and done yeah. shamanic journeys in the city and, and used the subway as the underworld and. I mean, just had oh, amazing great. things happen oh, in the city yeah. to the degree that, you know, you know how New Yorkers are. I mean, everybody's kind of got it down, and everybody's so so solid and, and centered, and it's like, okay, this is the deal, and this is my city, and this is my town. We would leave and walk out into the street, and people would go, oh, my God, where are we? You know, oh, and I was, I, it tripped me out. I was like, okay, this, there's some real magic going on here when I can trip out a bunch of bunch of Brooklynites in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That you is know, but true. the universe is so on our side, Mitchell. You know that. Yes. You know, yes, life is so waiting for us to wake up. Yes. To open and, that and door. And to fall in love with life again. You know, yes, to exactly. fall in love with being here and being who we are again. That's right. That's um, a beautiful it's way tragic to put it. that we, that you know, our, our relation, our cultural relationship with life has become like a like a nasty marriage, and and yeah. you know we're stuck together and we're afraid to get a divorce from the reality <laughs> that we know, like we're staying together for the kids or some some insane <laughs> lie like that. That's, right. <laughs> that's very funny and that's very well put. I I really appreciate your good work, Lee, and uh, you're really helping to uh, bump up the game for a lot of people. And uh, it's very useful. And I, let me, I want to ask you one other thing on a very practical level. Uh, for those of our listeners who either know people or they themselves are um, going through a process of needing some help with recovery um, from addictions all the way from drugs and alcohol to food and everything else that people can get addicted to. I, I believe that we get addicted to certain feelings and thoughts and dramas as well as, you know, it gets rather subtleized too. Um, and some of the work I do with people is to kind of check that out, become aware of that, blow the whistle on it and take a good hearty laugh at it so they can uh, engage life on a higher, more powerful level. But what what are you doing now that would help people who are so challenged? Uh, are those uh, journeys that you're still doing to Mexico part of that program you're doing now? Yeah, you know the the well on the on a foundational level, um, if somebody's really struggling, you know, with addiction or, or with trauma, um, with an eating disorder. Um, yes. It's, it is first things first, um, and that's why that's why I keep creating recovery programs and healing programs. And the Integrative yes. Life Center in Nashville is a profoundly cool, profoundly powerful recovery program, and it's reality based, meaning that um, you know our offices yes. are all on Music Row in Nashville. It's a couple old houses that are just very cool, and our clients are living in town. Um, they're living yeah. just off of Music Row in the middle of town. Um, it's a very connected, grounded community. The houses are staffed, but you're you're going to the grocery store still. You're not in the Got bubble it. of going off you're to a treatment in the center. World. And you you're in that. the world. Yeah, yeah you're in yeah. the world, and you're doing your work on yeah. yourself in the Got world, it. 
so there is no great energetic um, energetic challenge when you move from the bubble of inpatient treatment back into your reality, which is where most people crash and burn because that shift is just is really really challenging. So I realized that, and so I created a program that people can do the work and they can go walk in the park and sit down and do a group under a tree. There's nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of in that. Not and we all. take our power back from living intimidated by the world we live in. And we realize we can do this stuff anywhere because it's actually more important that we heal ourselves and we're there for one another than it is than it is that the businessman walking down the street gets to the damn office. You know, That's humanity true. has got to come back to the realization that our calling at this point in time is that we had better start healing and recreating our version of life and our cultures and our realities because we've made such a mess that if we don't begin to seriously morph and evolve, it's going to get really ugly. That's um, right. You know, the collective right. is a mess, and we can change it, but it will That's change right. one person at a time, one choice at a time, one day at a time. You know, it will have to change from the bottom up. It will not change from the top down. And that's, that's what right. the Integrative Life Center is about. It's about reinvigorating people, helping them heal. That's it's right. IntegrativeLifeCenter.com. Yeah, IntegrativeLifeCenter.com. LifeCenter.com. Very good. We're going to put that and then the on our website. Okay, and the journeys to Mexico um, yeah. are available for everybody. You know, it's just... But if you're strung out yeah. on dope, it's hard to go do something like that. So For get sure. clean first and then come to Mexico. And then come. Um, That's great. Yep. Yeah. Lee McCormick. And those are all on the DreamingHeaven.net website. Okay, DreamingHeaven.net. We have that then for our audience. DreamingHeaven.net. Wonderful. Lee McCormick, I want to just thank you so much for your good work and your commitment to help heal and work with people on their journey. It's uh, it's beautiful. Your book and your film are a real contribution. And uh, keep up the good work. Oh, man. it's I have too much fun to stop. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Thanks for joining us on A Better World. So thanks a lot, Mitchell. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Be well now. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I'm so glad you joined us for this hour with Lee McCormick, McCormick talking about Dreaming Heaven, both his book and the documentary, which you can get copies of at dreamingheaven.net. Uh, they come together. The DVD is embedded in the book. And also the Integrative Health Center, which uh, he just uh, – I'm sorry, the Integrated lifecenter.com which he's doing now in Nashville sounds wonderful and very much as Lee was saying we really need, we've made a mess out of our beautiful sacred earth, Gaia who is a living being for crying out loud and what we have done with her uh, just environmentally is enough to make any semi-sensitive person cry uh, many of us are working diligently at turning this around. And this is why we need sane, conscious, well-balanced, and harmonized people to deal with the scourge that we have created in exploiting Mother Earth's resources the way we have. It's time that we get our own personal acts together, get aligned with the outer need to clean this planet up and live lives that are harmonized with her, with heaven, and with each other. So thanks so much for joining me here on A Better World today. I always so appreciate your uh, participation through your active listening and attention. It's a precious gift. I recognize it. Please pass this link on. It's listed at Blog Talk Radio. It's listed at abetterworld.tv. If you're not yet getting our newsletter, please go and sign up for it at our website, abetterworld.tv. We've got a lot of fun to be had. We also sell our video TV interviews online uh, under store on our website, on Amazon, and we uh, welcome you all 
to participate. I want to also just in closing honor the great Nelson Mandela. It was just last week that he passed a day after our last radio show. So this is my first opportunity to uh, thank him on the air. I definitely thanked him in our last newsletter, which is also, by the way, under newsletter at abetterworld.tv if you click on that link. And uh, his life has been a real symbol of virtue, of kindness, of patience, of compassion, of steadfastness, and a willingness to fight as needed, depending on the enemy, interestingly enough. Peacemaker he was, but he did what he needed to do at different times in his life to defend the values and the mission that he was fighting so arduously for. So Nelson Mandela, thank you so much from those of us at A Better World. Again, this is Mitchell J. Rabin. Please pass on this link to others who you think should know about the good work Lee McCormick is doing in recovery, dealing with addictions, but also dealing with reshuffling the deck of our sense of self, of relating to ourselves in a much deeper, more multidimensional way, which is, as he so well put it, so true. And we've limited ourselves. We've cut our wings, as it were, and uh, defined ourselves with a very narrow band. But we are so much more than that. And it's so much fun to begin to play in that sandbox when you begin to get a greater sense of who we are and enjoy the bliss and infinitude that comes with that. So with that, let's bring on the brilliant Mozart and I'll close out today's show with that. And remember uh, Lee McCormick's good work and those websites as well as ours. And I look forward to seeing you all next.